Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Love Fruit podcast, and thank you for joining us today. And we have another fascinating interview for you to look forward to. Uh, I think a lot of you will enjoy this today. And I will be speaking to Robert Snydak. And I should probably say Dr. Robert Snydak. He's a chiropractor. He's an expert in natural hygiene and, and health. Um, he's currently residing in Ecuador. He's a musician. And he's also been through um, quite a fascinating awakening experience in, in his life uh, with uh, Kundalini and other things we might go into as well. So, um, Robert, is there anything you'd like to say about yourself uh, before we get started? Um, thanks for having me on. This is great. Good to good to talk about things we both love to talk about and um, happy to share whatever whatever knowledge and experience I have should be fun. Just to mention to people, if, if they want to uh, go and research or learn a little bit more about you and your teachings, they can go to robertsnydak.com. And uh, uh, Robert was mentioning the website's not 100% complete, but there'll be some information there if you want to check that out as well. So, um, Robert, I, I usually get started by asking people, um, did, you, did you grow up in a conventional sort of diet and lifestyle? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure your listeners have heard of this standard American diet. Well, that was me in spades. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, my, my parents and my mom was a part of a farmer family and my dad was part of a mining family. So they came from very humble backgrounds. And um, in the U.S. in the late 50s, early 60s, when I was born and being raised, uh, you know, latching on to modern stuff was a real big deal at the time. And white bread, white sugar, all fried foods, all that sort of thing was, was, was modern, you see. And this, this, was, uh, this was the latest thing and the best thing. So that's the way it happened for me as a child, ate all the standard garbage, pretty good other, you know, a decent amount of, of, of good food, but plenty of candy and white sugar, white flour stuff. So yeah, I had all that. And um, actually in my youth as a child, I was eating a lot of dairy products, drinking a lot of milk, ice cream, that sort of thing. And uh, had tons of sinus infections and throat infections and ear infections and all that sort of thing. Had no clue it was tied to dairy products, but you know, as a kid, you kind of get through it, but it was already a chronic thing as a child. And that, that, um, that eventually led me down a health path. Actually, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I uh, started searching and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, but um, yeah, that's the background I pretty much come from. So that is what eventually led to my health seeker uh, status. Yeah. Yeah. So what um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned some sinusitis there. What, what were some of the health issues you had growing up? Yeah, that was mostly it. I was, I was heavily into athletics and, and, football, baseball, track, just loved, loved being a free spirit in that way. So that was, that was fun. That was a blast. But the 
dairy products, it turned out, probably my diet in general as a kid, caused all these sinus infections, throat infections, and especially ear infections. And really horrible as a kid, up until, up until about 12 or 13 years old. I had them just more or less constantly, regularly. So that was a real drag. But uh, in my teen years, I guess, with hormones kicking in and, and growing really quickly, um, didn't bother me as much. And perhaps my diet was a little better by then. I don't even remember. But um, back in my early, very early 20s, these infections kicked in again in a really big way. And um, especially sinus infections. Problems seemed to move out of my throat and ears so much, but into my sinuses. And I had horrible chronic sinus infections. And... Um, it got to a point where I would have an infection. It would last about a month. And the lymph nodes, one lymph node on my right side of my neck and one under my right arm would just swell up like crazy. It was, it would, the one under my arm would be like a golf ball. It would really swell horribly. And it was extremely painful. Couldn't lift my arm. It would last for several weeks before it would slowly subside. And it was just getting, getting out of hand. So I remember I went to this uh, ENT physician, asked him about it. I said, all right, what can we do with this? And frankly, he had no idea. He was just gonna, he was just gonna put me on some drugs. And uh, he said, you know, if it gets worse and gets worse, we're just gonna have to excise those lymph nodes that are swelling, you know, we'll just cut them out. Oh, wow. And yeah, and the way he said it was so nonchalant, like, yeah, no big deal. Like taking out an appendix, no big deal. And, but it really hit me hard. It was like, whoa, hold on a minute here. This is crazy. Um, we're, you want to put me on drugs every day. And then if it doesn't work, then you're just going to cut the problem out and keep the drugs going, by the way. And I was like, so no, hold on here. Uh, you know, thanks very much, but I'll see you later. I'll call you if I need you. And I said, this, this is no good. I got to do some serious digging here on what's going on. And so um, I had no clue about natural hygiene yet or really natural, healthy living. But, you know, I was, I was green about the whole subject. So I started digging into it. And probably like a lot of your listeners went through a kind of convoluted path of uh, trying different diets, trying different, a lot of different supplements. Um, yeah, supplements were a real big deal for about a year or two. I thought uh, if I just kept piling on the supplements, I'd turn into some kind of Superman, you know, be jumping, wow. flying, over, flying over buildings. So after a while of doing that and realizing uh, nothing's really helping, I started going to alternative practitioners, uh, chiropractors, acupuncturists, naturopaths, um, looking for different, different avenues to fix this thing. I was still very much <clears throat> in a curing mentality, as we mm -hmm. call it in hygiene, looking for a cure, you know, not changing my lifestyle all that much, though I was doing that a little bit with the supplements and all. Um, still no, had, had no clue about the diet. And I'm trying all these practitioners and it was, <clears throat> it was a real kind of crazy, awkward experience because I started to realize that 
my belief that I was going to cure my problem through some practitioner, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that false belief for what it was yet. I was still trusting all these people. And I'd go to the chiropractor, he'd give me his adjustments and he'd recommend this and that and the other thing. And, and I'm like, what does this really have to do with a sinus infection? And he had his story. <laughs> yeah, he had his story that, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's the nerves here and it comes out and out, out and go and it connects and uh, it, it'll make a difference, trust me. And it didn't do much. It might've helped a little bit. And then I tried um, acupuncture, didn't seem to do anything. Tried, what else was it I tried? Heck, I don't even remember now, but tried several different practitioners. And, you know, sometimes I'd get a little bit of benefit, but it wouldn't last. Uh, or I'd get nothing at all. And it's just started getting really old. So right about that time, I hooked up with this naturopath, real old timer guy, and he assured me he had the answer. He says, oh, yeah, you know, he, I can tell you exactly what it is. And I've got a, the exact thing to do for it. And he proceeded to use these um, kind of Q-tips on a wooden stick, but they were about oh, six inches long, maybe maybe 20, millimeter, 20 centimeters long, these nasty looking things. So he dipped them in some horrible smelling liquid he had, some concoction. And then he had me lie back and he stuck these things way up in my nose, back in my sinuses. And it was, oh my God, that was painful. It was crazy. It's kind of like the PCR tests people are doing all the time now. Yeah. And um, I thought, you know, I'm lying there with this thing in my sinus and sticking out my nose. And I'm thinking to myself, this is freaking insane. What am I doing? And who is this guy? So I, I let him finish, you know, I'm paying for this thing, so I might as well try it. And something really clicked inside that this whole approach is wrong. Something's terribly wrong here. I don't get it, but I don't know what to do, but this is wrong. And divine seemed to come through. And uh, I think it was a few days later at my, my job I was working at, at the time, a fellow worker comes by my desk and he flings this little book on my desk. And he said, Robert, I know you're into all that health stuff. Why don't you check this out? I think you'll like it. And so I looked at this book, a standard small paperback book at the time. This was about 1980, hmm, 81 or two. And um, I'm looking at this book and I, I don't even remember the title, but it was by, got by a guy by the name of T.C. Fry. And I flipped the book over and on the back cover, he's, he's wearing these, this kind of glittery bathing suit from about the 1930s. And he's this stocky, heavy set guy, but in good shape. And he's doing these, these muscle poses on the back of this book in these photos. And I'm thinking, wow, if this middle-aged guy's got the gonads to put these pictures on the back of this book, then it's worth a look, you know? So, I'm flipping through this book and I never knew about the guy. I never knew about natural hygiene. I'm flipping through this book and I'm kind of nodding my head. I'm saying, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And then he mentioned something about the belief in cures and the idea of curing. 
by doing something completely unnatural to the body in order to cure it from some kind of illness. And wow, Ronnie, at that moment, it was like somebody hit me over the head with a two by four. It just, it's, it hit me in my brain in such a way that it, it just felt perfectly right. So I really dove into this book, started reading it, and everything was clicking, everything was making sense. It was exactly what I was looking for. And so that opened my eyes to natural hygiene. And um, again, divine intervention gave me another sinus infection soon after that, and the same lymph node swelling under my arm and all that business, and it was horribly painful again. And I had recalled reading from TC Fry about fasting, water fasting, and how that allows the body its maximum healing potential. So I had no clue about fasting. I had never done a fast. I don't think I ever missed a meal in my life. And I said, all right, let's do it. And I studied up real quick a little bit about fasting. And I did a four-day water fast. And by day three, that lymph node swelling was completely gone. Uh, the sinus infection was well on its way to being over. Something that usually took four, six, or eight weeks was resolved in basically three days. So I was totally sold. I was totally into it at that point. And I just dove in, started studying natural hygiene. Uh, soon after that, started giving uh, adult education classes at a local community college. And wasn't but a few years after that that... Um, I just basically decided to ditch my engineering career completely. And I went back to school to get my doctorate degree in chiropractic in order to professionally supervise fast and do natural hygiene professionally. So that's kind of my whole story in a nutshell. Wow, that's, that, that, that's really fascinating. And, and did you ever meet or learn directly from TC Fry? Yeah, yeah, he was in Texas at the time. And um, I made my way down there on purpose to, to go to some hygiene or fruit festival or something that was going on in Austin at the time. And I met him then. I think that was when I met Doug, as Doug Graham as well, and another, quite a few hygiene professionals. Actually, I think it was an American Natural Hygiene Society meeting or symposium or something. That's what it was. And uh, it was somewhere in Texas near Austin. And um, I recall going out of my way to go meet TC at that time. And we started talking and I guess he saw my enthusiasm and he, he gave me a bunch of books to read from Shelton and we clicked really well. He was a really good guy, really funny too. He told, told a lot of jokes all the time. And um, yeah, so he, he really helped launch my, my whole hygiene career and get me motivated about it. What was your opinion on, on him? Did he... I think there's different ideas about whether how how much he followed the diet that he was teaching about or how he lived or I don't know there's different ideas about that what's your impression of him what what was your impression of him at the time yeah, TC you're talking about yeah yeah um sheesh I didn't necessarily see him eating all that much when i did it was probably at symposiums or something so um as far as i could see he was he was doing pretty well um i 
Yeah, because he was he, when he wrote and spoke a lot, he was pretty hardcore, straight high G. As far as his personal life, I don't know. I, I do recall reading that uh, in his later life, he might have kind of gone off the wagon a little bit, so to speak. But um, yeah, I don't really know much detail about that. Right, right. OK, OK. And, uh, yeah. So and, and um, he was I guess he kind of took over from Herbert Shelton in a way as being the kind of leading figure in hygiene for a while. Would that be right? Pretty much, I would say, because right about the time TC really got into it, he personally benefited tremendously from it, natural hygiene. And um, he was a promoter. He was a, mm. uh, what was it called? Bulk mail marketer, I think is what they were called back then. Anyways, he was a promotional guy and salesman, uh, marketer type of guy. And when he got into hygiene and really benefited, he really got that sort of... Uh, that missionary spirit, you know, you want to tell the world about it when you find something really exciting. So he really got into writing then. And I think that was right about the time when Shelton was starting to go downhill pretty fast. So I think Shelton's output decreased dramatically, if not totally, right about when TC started getting into it. And I may be a little bit wrong about this, but more or less, I think that was the case. So TC kind of just took it upon himself to go for it and um, made a name for himself. <laughs> In some cases, somewhat notorious name for himself. Sure, sure. So uh, up to that point in your life, what were, what, was, what were your plans? What were you looking to do? Were you, I'm, I'm guessing you, you didn't expect yourself to become what you, what you ended up being? As far as uh, chiropractic and so on? Yeah, like, like career-wise, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I decided I want to get into working with and being a natural hygienist in some kind of professional fashion. And I was already teaching classes at a community college, but I had no credentials about health at all. So how, at that time, I... How did that happen that you were teaching classes at the college? Yeah, um, back in the 80s, I think it was in the 70s, 1970s and 80s, adult education classes in the evenings at local community colleges were a big thing, or at least they were in Florida where I was living at the time. And um, if somebody had basically just a real strong interest in, in promoting something or teaching something, these community colleges would provide a space for it where people could meet and, and you could do your presentations. So, um, I said, yeah, I'm totally into this natural hygiene, this personal health thing. I think I can really help. And the guy said, sure, go for it. You know, there wasn't any real oversight. And oh, wow. Maybe, yeah, pretty much a free for all. You know, I'm sure people, they're all kind of marketing salesman types who were just preaching to sell something. But I was really into it. I was into my missionary mode at the time. And I just really wanted to tell people about it because I had got so much benefit. So I just wanted to spread the word. And um, yeah, I had done that for about three years and was starting to get a bit of a following and people were really, really happy with what they were, the benefits they were getting. And uh, some people enjoyed my speaking ability and so on. They said, you need to do this professionally. You know, you could really 
you could really uh, get a good audience if you get some professional credentials to make, you know, let people know you know what you're talking about. So that's when I decided, yeah, I want to do this professionally and I'm really into it. Oh, by the way, I was in South Florida, West Palm Beach area, and Dr. William Esser had a fasting retreat in uh, West Palm Beach at the time. And I went to visit him a few times. And he was an old, real stately, upstanding kind of guy, gentleman. He was totally in the hygiene, very Sheltonian attitude. He had a fasting retreat for like 50 years. I think he was in his 80s at the time that I met him. And um, he really strongly encouraged me to get into it if I wanted to do it. And when he was encouraging me and telling me, yeah, you need to go back, go to chiropractic school or naturopathic or becoming an MD or whatever, but get a professional certification and doctorate degree. And then he kind of stopped for a moment, looked up in the air and he said, and if you want, after you get your degree, come back here and I'll train you. I'll teach you everything I know. And it turns out I was the first person, at least that I'm aware of, that he offered an internship to um, after, after getting their degree. So that's exactly what I did. I went to finish up pre-med studies, took uh, four years worth of chiropractic school. And then, um, once I got my doctorate, finished all my licensing requirements, um, I went to work with uh, Dr. Shelton and stayed there for quite a while and watched how he did things. And I was acting as his sort of clinical doctor with, diagnostics and, you know, blood tests, urinalysis, physical exams, that sort of thing for the patients he had. But um, that was, that was a real turning point for me because I really got my, my feet wet, you know, and my hands wet in the whole process and really learned it, how it, how it works with fasting, because it's so radically different compared to, you know, chiropractic or typical medicine or any of that stuff, as far as how a patient is approached and right. how the sort of prescription for dealing with problems, how that's done through natural hygiene, is just completely different than, than standard clinical procedures in, in conventional medicine. So it really opened my eyes to how it's done in a real humane and natural way. And that really, really appealed to me. So that was, that was really, really good for me. And that was with Dr. Esser? Yes, Dr. Esser. Yeah. So I guess uh, I want to come back to this, but I'm interested in, I think we skipped over a little bit, from you on the standard diet to you following natural hygiene kind of lifestyle, how long did that take? Was that something that was overnight? Was that a quick thing for you? Was it a result of this TC Fry book? Were there other books or teachers involved in helping you or what, what, what went on there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say it was probably a several month process. I got into eating a lot of, lot more fruits, uh, breakfast and lunch pretty much, or actually it was more like scavenging all day for fruits all day long. And I <laughs> loved that. That was real easy. I enjoyed that. Um, Evening meals were usually still cooked foods and a variety of foods. And I'm sure I had, I don't really recall, but I'm sure I had some transitional time mm -hmm. with uh, some of my 
treats, you might say. So, um, yeah, I don't recall it being a hardcore overnight thing, but it was a it was a fairly strong soft core yeah. <laughs> overnight thing because I got into it fruity in a big way, a lot more vegetables, nuts and seeds in the diet. But I think I still had some other foods for a while, but slowly gravitated off of that and slowly gravitated to a much more raw food diet as well. So it was a bit of a transition for me. Um, by that time, I was probably reading TC, Shelton, um, Doc, who was that guy? Keki, Dr. Keki Sidwa in England at the time. Um, Dr. Ralph Sinkay was a big guy at the time for me, big influence. Uh, Dr. Esser, of course, he was, he was a great example for me. So yeah, there was a number of teachers, a number of uh, people I looked up to, read a lot of material from, and um, they, helped, they helped basically reprogram yeah. me pretty quickly. So you ended up at the, at the fasting center working with uh, Dr. Esser, and he's someone that I've heard a little bit about, but most people have maybe not heard of him who are getting into this kind of lifestyle today. But he was, I believe he was, he lived into his 90s, and there's a, the story about him is that he, he died on the tennis court. He was playing tennis at age 93. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's true. Right. But he did play, yeah, he did play. Let me get this door behind me. I'll be right. Back. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a little better for the lighting too. Um, yeah, he was an avid tennis player, um, several times a week at least. In his in his 80s, he was still playing. And from what I heard. Uh, he played right up until about a month before he died. I think he was 93 or 95. I don't recall exactly how old he was. But um, as I understand it from one of his family members, he was basically very functional right up until the end. And then just the last few days before he died, he said he had... Uh, mentioned to one of his grandsons that he wasn't feeling so hot. Something was strange going on, just didn't feel right. And so he took it real easy for a couple of days. And then uh, one the next particular day, and this is a story I've heard, so I'm not sure, but um, he just said, you know, something's feeling really, really odd here. I feel okay, but something's just really off. I have no, have no appetite. So I'm just going to lie down and rest. And then basically he just passed within 24 hours comfortably. Wow. So yeah, it was a real smooth transition. And um, he was a very calm, collected, uh, easygoing guy too. You know, he was kind of very, always held, held himself high and very stately kind of guy. And um, just, just really, really wonderful human being. And uh, lived what he preached and helped literally many thousands of people throughout his lifetime. And um, yeah, it was a sad thing, but his, his passing was very, um, I'm trying to find the word. It's uh, cl classic almost, you know, it did really, really well right up to the end, had a couple of days of a little down and then just moved on. 
So it was real, real smooth. He was very sharp. He had his mental faculties totally right up at the end. So, yeah, he was a really good example for all of us. And do you know much about anything about how did he become a fasting retreat facilitator for 50 years? Do you have any idea what his background was in, in, in that path? Yeah, as far as, as far as I know, he was a naturopath. He got his education long time ago. I guess it was in the 20s or 30s, possibly. And um, I believe he started out doing somewhat traditional naturopathic uh, therapies and treatments and so on, and quickly got, you know, discouraged with it. And somewhere along the way, he found out about Shelton and he just, just loved it. I remember he said when he first found out about Shelton, he literally went everywhere he could to get a, get the next book by Shelton. He just read everything he could from him and immediately switched his practice into a natural hygiene practice and opened a fasting retreat. I think he had several in different states before he finally settled in Florida, but he was in Florida for a lot of years before he passed on. So I think that's more or less his story. But yeah, he, he was another one who, when he was first exposed to hygiene, just sort of, it blew him away, you know, lit him up totally and he got into it 100%. So that, as far as I know, that's pretty much his story. And at, at that facility, was it, was the, the diet he was eating, was it vegan? Was it raw mostly? Was it a lot of fruits? Were they growing fruits? What, what was the situation there? Yeah, um, at his retreat, when you're fasting patients, um, you got to be very careful with breaking their fast and then um, refeeding afterwards for the week or two that the patient is still there. So there was very, very strong emphasis on simple foods, uh, juices as well, a lot of uh, watery fruits and just very clean, very simple eating for all the patients. Um, for the staff, it was pretty much the same. That's what was available. So it was almost completely raw food. As far as I recall, it was totally raw food. Um, Esser did like certain cheeses for, I don't know if it was his upbringing or whatever, but he, he still loved his cheese every now and then. And he, he had some supplier, some dairy, organic dairy in South Florida or Central Florida that, that uh, made some kind of soft organic cheeses. I don't recall exactly, but that was his one, I don't know what you want to call it, um, you know, one non-perfect yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> aspect of his diet. But um, other than that, it was pretty much raw food and fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, pretty hardcore. Yeah, so you must have got a great education about fasting there. And, and what did mm. you do there? I mean, you must have seen some amazing stories of, of healing happening there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was one, uh, one in particular. I, I have told this story a few times. There was this one woman. She was probably in her 60s. She had been coming to his retreat for a number of years. By the way, his, a lot of his clientele were 
old timers who had been just coming to him once a year for vacation every year just to maintain uh, good health. So this one woman was there. I think she was, if I recall, she was in her early 60s and uh, she was doing fine. She was used to fasting for a week or two at a time. And uh, she was doing fine. And one particular morning, Dr. Esther and I went in to do our daily visit with everybody. And um, as we're talking with her, she was in good shape. She was fine. She was lucid, no problems. Her fast was going well. But these, these tears from the corners of her eyes just kind of kept dripping down. And they had a distinct yellow color to them. It was just really odd for me. And he, he, Dr. Esther didn't seem concerned at all. Uh, I didn't know this particular history, her history at the time, but um, turns out I looked at her and I, I don't remember her name, but I looked at her and I said, so what's going on with the tears coming down your face? You don't seem to be crying. You're not upset about anything. And she kind of kind of chuckled a little bit under her breath. And she says, ah, this happens every time I fast. I have a little bit of this detox from my eyes. And I said, well, yeah, but it's kind of yellow. What is that? And I said, it has a, has a very odd odor to it, very odd smell. What is that? <laughs> and she laughed again. And she said, when I was a child, um, I, I lived in Africa for a while and also South America for a while. And Malaria was a big issue in a lot of places we were. And so I had been given uh, many doses of quinine when I was living in these areas. And now 40, 50 years later, I'm doing these regular fasts. And every time I do, I detox more of this quinine out of my eyes in my tears. Yeah, it was really bizarre, and it, it, it floored me, you know, I'm like, holy moly, this is, so this quinine or some metabolic byproduct of it has been in this woman's body for 50 years, and it's slowly coming out with these fasts, and it's coming out through her tear ducts, and wow. I'm thinking, you know, what, what is, how is this even possible? And then I recalled reading some of Shelton's case histories where he talked about all sorts of bizarre uh, occurrences during his fasting patients where pe people's bodies would go through all sorts of heroic efforts to get rid of all sorts of toxins that they had ingested or breathed in, you know, decades and decades ago. So it just really hammered home that, to me that the body is always, always trying to make its internal environment as pure as it possibly can and as optimally functioning as it possibly can. We just have to get out of the way and let it do its job. There may be a little, a little place for some extra support here or there, but other than le leading a good lifestyle and periodic water fasting to help the body cleanse and, and reset and rebalance, you know, those are the optimum things we can all do to maintain good health. So a lot of these cases like, like hers, uh, hers was pretty dramatic, but um, a lot of cases like that, I, I have seen where people's bodies just do amazing things to heal themselves in in amazing ways that you never would expect. 
But then when you think about it a little more, you realize, oh, okay, the body is not only doing what it needs to, to detoxify from whatever toxic insults it's dealing with, but it's choosing the best route possible to eliminate that toxic crap and do the least amount of damage while it's eliminating it. So again, the, the incredible intelligence in our bodies just continue to blow my mind day after day as I, as I watch fasting patients and as I did my training in fasting patients at Esther's place. Um, it's just amazing what our bodies can do if we just, just help it naturally to do what it wants to do. It's, it's, not, it's not hard to understand. It's a bit of a challenge to do it sometimes, but it's a very simple, easy process. And yeah, yeah it's, it, it's just uh, for any of us who are really naturally inclined, organically inclined in our attitude and in our lifestyle, we learn to trust our body implicitly because all of us are little miracles walking around. It's, it's amazing what we're capable of. And so the idea is just to harmonize with that and unleash your potential. And that, that's, that's really what my career is all about. You brought up something that's very tightly, which is the, the um, toxins and detoxification. And the reason that I want to ask you a little bit about that is there's, there's quite a focus now in the, in the raw vegan world. There's a lot of people that seem to get caught up in a detoxing mentality and many see the diet as a detox and they are, are focused and have kind of obsessed a little bit with the idea of detoxing and cleansing and things like that. And right. sometimes they will say things like, um, this fruit is detoxifying. Uh, this fruit is cleansing. This fruit does this. Uh, I'd like to know your perspective on detoxification or detoxing and the body's role in that and, and whatever role the diet plays in that. Sure. Um, let me just say right up front, and we, I'll explain this, what I mean. There is no food or any other substance that is healing, that is detoxifying, that is helping in any way like that of its own accord. There is no fruit that's a cleansing fruit. There's no vegetable that's a detoxifying vegetable. All they do is provide nutrients. And one could argue they provide a certain form and degree of life energy, bioenergy. So what happens is the actor in all cases, when we're talking nutrition, is the body itself. The cells, the intelligent cells and systems in our bodies take substances in our food, in air and water, in sunlight, the nutritive, aspects of our lives as we ingest them or inhale them or benefit from them such as sunlight our body then takes those nutrients or that electromagnetic energy in the case of sunlight and uses it 
positively to maintain and improve its own functioning. So it's always our body that is the actor. The foods don't do anything. The vegetables don't do anything. It's our body that does the cleansing, the healing, the detoxifying. It's only the intelligence in our body that knows what to do. There can't possibly be any particular intelligence in a particular antioxidant. I mean, if you, if you eat an orange and you're getting some vitamin C, the vitamin C doesn't know to go to the precise location in your liver where it's going to do something beneficial. It's just a nutrient. It's, it's uh, broken down, assimilated, absorbed into the system. And then the intelligence of, the, of your body says, ah, here's some vitamin C. Let me take it to the liver and I can use it to do X, Y, and Z. And it does that. Mm. There's no way for the vitamin C per se to have any intelligence to know what to do in your body. But your body is also telling you to eat certain foods that have vitamin C because it needs those raw materials. So your body takes the raw materials, uses its intelligence to do the healing and detoxing it needs to do. So the reason I'm harping on this is because it's very important, in my opinion, to constantly develop, improve, and learn to trust the incredible intelligence and abilities in your body. And don't give that, don't give the, uh, don't give the intelligence or wherewithal to external substances per se, okay? It's, you know, if you're gonna say this is a cleansing food, by that kind of same logic, you could say, well, that drug helps me detoxify or that oddball supplement is the one that's healing my problem. And that's not true at all. It's only the body that can do this. Only the massive intelligence of your body that can do this. All your job is only to apply and supply the necessary nutrients to allow that to happen. And in hygiene, we call that just the basic nutritional needs of the body. As long as your nutritional needs are supplied appropriately, your body will take care of everything else. So the idea is to always encourage trusting your own body to do what's right, and not depending on other magical substances to do something magical for you. It doesn't work like that. And by putting that trust external to yourself, you're diminishing your confidence and trust in your own body's abilities. Does that make sense? I think that's an amazing answer. Yeah, that, that, that's, 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 um, that's something that a lot of people need to hear, I would say, <laughs> to have that develop that confidence in their body rather than thinking that any particular food, nutrient, or supplement is going to do that for them. And, you know, you know, Ronnie, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of kind of hammering away on this a little bit because this whole mentality of ascribing healing power to other things is exactly what has led to medicine, naturopathic, chiropractic, acupuncture, crystal healing, anything you can think of. 
The whole idea is something out there is going to fix me. And it, it just doesn't work like that. It never has. No other life form on earth since the beginning of life on this planet. Every single life form has its own innate ability to heal and the intelligence to do that. All that needs to happen is that the appropriate nutri nutrition and, and needs of a healthy life for that organism or for human beings, as long as you supply them properly, everything else is taken care of. You don't have to think at all about any magical thing out there. So it's a real big deal to get this understanding, this point of view, because then you can pretty much eliminate all doctors of any kind, supplements of any kind, magical potions or pills or treatments or therapies of any kind. You just don't need them. They were never necessary to begin with. Now, if somebody's already suffering badly from some kind of disease, they've got maybe some genetic defects or whatever problems people might have for whatever reason, there may be a good place for supportive measures and maybe even ongoing support, supportive measures in order to maintain a healthy life as possible under those particular circumstances. But those particular circumstances aren't normal circumstances. Normal, ideal circumstances, all we need to do is provide the normal needs of a healthy life and a healthy life just happens. You don't have to do anything extraordinary or, or special. So this understanding, this is it's sort of an ideal idyllic, sort of an ideal understanding, I idealism in a sense in natural hygiene, but that's what natural hygiene is all about. The whole point of natural hygiene is to say, how can we live the healthiest life possible? And then the next question is, well, how do we harmonize with nature as ideally as possible? because then that automatically provides the best possible health we can have. If you look around at nature, every living thing in nature, if it's in its appropriate environment and it's getting its appropriate nutrition, it's healthy, it's a done deal. And every or living organism inherently knows what its needs are and how to supply them. And we call that instinct or innate wisdom, but it's already there. We have that too. We've just lost it. We've let our intellectual mind take over our innate instinctive intelligence and we screw everything up. And natural hygiene is just basically saying, okay, we wanna get our instinctive native intelligence back front and center and then once we achieve a good harmony with nature and a natural lifestyle again, then health just happens. And we can use that health then to do whatever we want in life. And we don't have to even worry about it anymore. It's no longer a big deal. Um, but that's a big hurdle to get over because since birth, we've all been constantly indoctrinated with all kinds of false beliefs and, and wrong knowledge about what health is and how to achieve it and how to maintain it. 
So breaking down those beliefs is a real challenge. And even for vegans and raw fooders who have been at it for years, we can still find ourselves prone to saying things like, yeah, watermelon is a cleansing fruit. Nope, watermelon is just a good nutritional fruit and it tastes wonderful if it's ripe and that's the time to eat it and it'll supply maximum nutrition and your body will take all those goodies and do the best possible work with them. So these beliefs we've had since birth have been really deeply encoded in our attitudes and our belief systems. Breaking them is a really big deal. And that's, that gets into the whole awakening business we talked about a little bit the other day. So yeah, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. And, and, uh, getting back with the with, with fasting in general and, and, and that period of your life, there's tremendous benefits to come with fasting. But to you, is there any any risks? Is there any issues with fasting that you see or you have seen? Yeah, normally, well, let's approach it from that sort of idealistic natural hygiene point of view again. Uh, fasting or and when I say fasting, that can mean anything from missing, missing one meal to, to not eating for three or four weeks. You know, you can do a very long fast or you can just miss a little bit. So when I use that term fasting, that's what I'm talking about, unless I'm explicit. So missing a meal or two or three or several days is a natural occurrence in our world. All living things are constantly seeking food and nourishment, but there may be times there's a drought or whatever climactic conditions have changed temporarily, or whatever it may be, that the food source for that particular species is just suddenly not available and they have to fast or they have to make do with second rate foods. But let's assume for whatever reason, no food is suddenly available, then you're gonna miss a meal or two or three or several days worth. So it's a natural occurrence. It can happen at any time. That said, all living organisms have to have a way to deal with that. And so built into their physiology and anatomy are abilities to deal with a lack of food for at least a short period of time. And for humans, we can do without food for easily up to three or four weeks if we need to, sometimes even longer. But at, certainly for at least a day or two or a few days, we can easily do without foods. And I'm sure in human history, there have been re repeating times of, of lack of food and our bodies had to deal with that. So we're easily equipped and all mammals are well equipped to do without food for a period of time. And it turns out that when that's the case, the body is intensely making use of whatever stored fuels and nutrition it has. And the overall result of all that is a pretty wonderful and dramatic improvement in all the body's functions that happen when fasting. So, I say all this to get the point across that this is a totally natural thing. Our bodies are well adapted to dealing with it and fasting whenever necessary. You ask if there's any dangers or considerations with fasting. Normally for a healthy person, 
there's no concern whatsoever, unless there's just some extremely rare, weird genetic situations where the liver can't handle the fasting metabolic physiology, or uh, maybe there's some other kind of oddball quirk that I'm not thinking of, but for the vast, vast majority of people, if, if you're in decent health, there's no worries about fasting at all. If you've got some disease going on, especially long-term chronic disease, fasting can be a real issue because there are compromised systems and your body's ability to generate the energy directed appropriately and the detox systems in your body are probably hurt pretty badly by this point if you've got a long-term chronic disease. Fasting can be quite touchy. It can be quite, uh, quite challenging in the early stages for people with chronic disease. So in those cases, I always highly recommend you have somebody who's knowledgeable about fasting supervise your fast. And it's also good a lot of times for chronic Ill pe chronically ill people to do a number of short fasts initially slowly increasing the length of them as their capabilities permit. And again, this is good to be monitored by somebody who's an expert in fasting so they can see the signs that tell the professional how you're doing and how your detoxification systems are handling the fast. So this way we try to maximize the safety of a fast. So that's kind of really what it comes down to. If you've never fasted before, it's good to have a supervised fast at least the first time to see how you do and you have someone around in case anything goes awry. Uh, but for healthy people, after that first experience and you learn how your body handles it, then you're probably good to go on your own with any future fasts you wanna do. Um, if you are somebody that's suffering from some kind of disease and especially a long-term chronic disease where you're on certain medications chronically as well, uh, that has to be dealt with much, much more carefully. And so monitoring those fasts professionally is always a good idea until the disease has largely resolved itself and you can confidently do shorter fasts on your own. So how did your sort of life continue after that experience at the fasting with center with uh, Dr. Esser? Where did you go after that? <laughs> You're forcing me to remember, remember things I haven't thought of in a long time. Um, let's see. I was doing my chiropractic internship with a chiropractor at the same time I was doing my internship with Dr. Esser. So for one, I was doing it for traditional chiropractic licensing reasons. And the other, I was doing it because I loved it. And so I quickly got my chiropractic uh, uh, accreditation and license and all that stuff finished and done. <laughs> and I devoted myself as much as possible to the hygiene and, and Dr. Esser's retreat. And let's see what happened next. Ah, yeah, yeah. I was in South Florida at the time and a job opportunity opened up at a 
vegetarian resort hotel on the beach in South Florida near Fort Lauderdale. And um, what, what it was was a position, uh, the on-staff physician for this vegetarian resort hotel. And they were willing to offer fasting as well as a vegan and or vegetarian diet for the guests. And it was a uh, hotel on the beach, so it was really great surroundings. So basically my job was um, having an interview with every incoming guests uh, to see if they had any particular problems or what they wanted to deal with while they were there. And I would set up a custom program for them, dietary program and exercise program based on their particular needs. And for some patients, uh, really, really small percentage, I'd set up a short fasting program for them as well. And I would monitor that. We would also do uh, blood analysis, urine analysis, um, those sort of things, massages and some spa treatments for people who wanted that, different things like that, because it was a vacation after all. So um, that was my job for a couple years, I think. And then finally, I got the strong urge to get out on my own and do it on my own. And I set up a very small fasting retreat in the home I was living in at the time. Then I uh, started doing some traveling. I had some several week or month long fasting retreats in Australia. And uh, where else was it? Uh, yeah, I think it was just Australia and a couple other places in the U.S. Rather than have a dedicated fasting retreat of my own, I would set up fasting retreats with other people who had their own uh, following. They were health practitioners in some regard, and they had a good following, and they liked the idea of someone, come, an expert coming in to run a fasting retreat that they basically operated. So, uh, I did that for several years as well. And um, yeah, can't really remember what happened necessarily after that, but different fasting retreats at different times, different types of programs, and a lot of public speaking at the time as well. Um, you know, Dr. Graham really well, Doug and his wife, Rozzy, Dr. Trader, uh, several other natural hygiene doctors, we did quite a bit of speaking around the United States at the time. Um, that was a lot of fun. So my life was really revolving around that sort of thing for quite a while. I'd like to know about your, your speaking career. What, what kind of places were, would have, were looking for you to speak? And what, were you quite busy with that? Yeah, we had some, um, we put on some festivals of our own, natural hygiene symposiums and, raw food and vegan food festivals, uh, fruit festivals, different speaking engagements like that. Um, Dave Klein, Doug and I, and several other docs, Rozzy as well. Um, we also did a program called Raw Passion Retreats and Raw Passion, uh, what was the name? We Conferences, I guess. I don't recall the actual name we gave it. But we toured different places in the U.S., um, little entourage. We'd all go here or there and do speaking engagements and, and have long weekend little retreats, sort of, 
And, and that was a lot of fun because that was of our own making. We could do exactly what we wanted to do and talk what we want to do and run it as we wanted to. So that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so it was those kind of things. Um, I also did quite a bit of, um, I guess you'd call it private speaking on my own, depending on where I was living at the time. Inevitably, I'd have a few people that were interested in what was going on, and we would set up sort of little intensive group meetings that we would regularly attend. And that way, our little groups of eight or 10 or 12 people, we could really get into it. We could get past the basics really quickly because they were already into it. And we'd just really get into the, the more advanced subjects, more, more um, personally helpful information for the particular people that were there. So that was a lot of fun too, because what was good about that, instead of dealing with patients just one at a time, it was kind of like um, a counseling session in a sense for eight or 12 people at a time. So everybody got to hear about everybody else's problems and how they dealt with it and how they were dealing with it hygienically and the challenges they were having, the problems they were having. So everybody got to learn from each other in a real intimate way and in a much more sort of in-depth way, more advanced yeah. way too. So that was really good because we could never really address that kind of thing in more public gatherings, more public retreats. So that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. So you were saying that, well, we were talking a little bit about how you felt that your whole career in hygiene and your, your learning about hygiene sort of prepared you for an awakening that you had later in life or it was part of that process. And how did that kind of happen? What, what, what was the history of that? that that's it. Yeah, um, my whole life really, but especially from my mid-teens onward, I had, I had a pretty strong desire for what what's commonly called spiritual, spiritual investigation, spiritual work. And, um, you know, it was a real sort of random thing uh, in, in the world of so-called spirituality. There's, there's a million different things going on and a million different ways to look at it and approach it. But I was doing that in my own way, but in no real strong, uh, intensive manner, other than some medi regular meditation, regular toning practice, which I developed for myself. Um, it was sort of a sideline thing, but it was, it was still very important in my life. It was something I did regularly. And um, I found out about hygiene not long after that in my early 20s and continued with hygiene in a big way. It was a real strong, powerful thing in my life. Very, very helpful. It, it got me to a high level of health and, and you know, overall functioning that was just wonderful for me. I really, really I loved it and appreciated it. And it was my baseline. You know, I could always depend on good health and a, a good mind and just operating at a good high level. So that naturally improved and increased my spiritual practices as well, quite a bit. 
still, I, it, I didn't really have any clue exactly what I was doing with my spirituality, where it was going. Um, you know, if you look at the spiritual world, sort of a overview manner or a big picture manner, there's a million different things going on and, and hundreds of different philosophies and thousands of different practices, all attempting to get to some spiritual goal. It's commonly called enlightenment, but there's different, different ways to look at it. And everybody's just kind of winging it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's hundreds, thousands of gurus out there and so-called experts who are going to lead you to nirvana and show you the way. And everybody's got a different ace up their sleeve. Nobody, everybody's got a different way to go about it. And if you look at it from a big picture point of view, it's kind of a, it's kind of a spiritual circus, really, <laughs> where there's all kind of different things going on in different areas of the circus. And you don't really have any clue what exactly to do. So almost everyone just gloms on to some expert, some guru, some, some so-called enlightened person and does what they tell them to do and hope for the best. So in my own case, that's, that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> People had told me, do this, do that, do the other thing, and it'll, it'll get you to where you want to go. So um, right about, let's see, what was it? Well, I guess I should preface a bit and say in my later teenage years, I dabbled a little bit in psychedelic drugs and natural substances that provide what's called a psychedelic experience. And if any of your listeners have done anything like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a totally mind-blowing experience. So that experience kind of gives you a massive brief taste of our potential as a human being, in, especially in what we call spiritual realms. So with a taste of that under my belt, um, I had my own spiritual seeking practices and uh, my practices were giving me some minor tastes of that same massive blast that the psychedelic drugs had, had caused. And interestingly, in that time, those late teen, early 20s years, I had also had some spontaneous natural, I don't even know what to call them, cosmic experiences, cosmic awareness experiences, transcendental experiences. And they, they had happened just spontaneously and naturally and lasted for anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours. And that sort of thing, if you've ever experienced it completely reframes your whole idea of what's possible and what you're capable of. And it's also extremely compelling. It's com extremely attractive. You're, you want it more and more. It's almost like a desperate addiction in a sense. So anyways, I was on with my spiritual practices and in my very early forties, um, I met someone who had very active Kundalini. And Kundalini is a big subject, uh, but to distill it all down to its essence, 
in my opinion, our natural, normal bio energy, the life force in each of us is the same thing as what Kundalini is. The only business with Kundalini, what people are talking about is when this natural life force in us is amplified greatly. And when it's suddenly amplified to a huge degree compared to normal, it has been given this name as active Kundalini. The truth is, in my opinion, Kundalini is always active in everybody because it's just another word for the life force in all of us. But in certain situations and certain circumstances for certain people, this kundalini natural bioenergy in us gets, it's like the volume knob is turned up from one to five, eight, or even 10. And just amazing things happen inside our minds and our bodies as part of a spirit, grander spiritual evolutionary process. And this kundalini thing kicked in with me and my partner at the time. I think this was year 2000. And once this kundalini was activated at, in this very strong manner inside each of us, it continued to do its internal evolutionary work for four years, four solid years. This was working day and night internally doing these amazing, incredible processes inside each of us in our own way. Um, Who is the person that you... Well, based on your question, just to finish real quickly, um, what I noticed somewhere in the midst of that kundalini process, awakening process I was going through, I realized that all my natural hygiene work over the last 20 years or so previous to that was not only wonderful for my own personal health and well-being, but it served to really prepare my mind and body to be able to handle the intensity of this greatly amplified Kundalini energy that was happening inside me. If I hadn't had 20 years of sort of preparation work with natural hygiene lifestyle and, and periodic fasting and so on, I don't think I would have been able to handle Kundalini near as well as I did. And probably it allowed it to, it allowed the uh, Kundalini process to achieve a lot more than it would have if I wasn't in, in a state of much better preparation than I was. And I think that helped tremendously. So uh, for any, any people in your audience who are hardcore into a good, healthy lifestyle, not only do you get the benefits that you get, which are wonderful in and of themselves, but you're also potentially preparing yourself in a big way for a much stronger, active spiritual process to take root inside you and to sort of blow open the circuits and, and really make some big leaps forward in your own spiritual evolution. And I find that the whole natural hygiene lifestyle is a great, great support for that for me. Yes, it's, I'll, I'll ask you some more questions about that. But from my perspective, sometimes I find it hard to explain to people why I got into 
raw foods because a, a lot of people have the story of they were sick and this was the last thing they did and it, you know they tried everything else and this was what worked and some people it's athletics and some people it's their skin didn't look good or they wanted to look younger or whatever and i think for for me i i was i was on that kind of path as well that sort of spiritual path and i did have some sense or idea that diet might be connected in some way i always wondered that and that so that was part of my inspiration to playing around with the diet part was that idea of are you holding yourself back in some way with these mm. are they do they bring your energy down did they stop you from connecting in some way and that was part of the thought process in me that made me go towards uh, eating more raw foods as well so I, I i really resonate with what you're saying and it, it makes it makes a lot of sense for me and it makes it makes me remember something that was inspiring to me about that journey um mm. who was it that you were mentioning that there was someone that you met that was active with kundalini is, is, does do you think it gets passed on like that or was it just a coincidence or is this a particular teacher you had um it was a spontaneous occurrence really uh, i hadn't i knew what kundalini was and i had read some books on it and heard some different things about it and i knew several people who were hardcore into a kundalini yoga practice um so i was aware of it but i didn't pay it all that much attention really i just assumed it was another spiritual path that some people like to take and there was, like I said, there's thousands of mouth path out there. So um, I just kind of thought of it as another one. And this person popped up in my life and um, she basically said, as we got to know each other a little bit, she, she enrolled as a student in my natural hygiene course. And uh, we got to know each other and we were talking a little about it. And she mentioned that, um, her kundalini had spontaneously awakened based on some spiritual practices she was doing. And uh, so I said, ah, ah, it's cool. What, tell me, tell me more about it. And she did. And of course it was really fascinating because that, that was a very important part of my life at the time. And um, as she told me more about it, and as we got into it, more and more, we decided we wanted to meet each other and just you know, get to know it. We had a real rapport together. And so um, it just kind of evolved from there. It wasn't a spiritual teacher disciple sort of thing. It wasn't, um, it wasn't anything conventional in the spiritual world, you might say. It was more just somebody who was interested in the natural hygiene course who enrolled. We got to know each other and one thing led to another, and that's kind of how, how it evolved. And it turned out that the kundalini in her that was already active sort of caused my slightly awakened kundalini that was more or less dormant to become active. And then from that point on, it's sort of hers would go to here and she'd pull me up to here and then I'd go to here and I'd pull her up. And it just kept, it just kept repeatedly, repeatedly amplifying each other in the whole process. And it just, it just exploded, frankly. So I guess in the bigger picture, 
she and I, in our own unique ways, were primed and ready for this to happen. Um, this process I'm speaking of that kicked in more with for us and continued hardcore for like four years. Um, it's not something that you can turn on by yeah. yourself. Yeah, you. There's no way to do it. Mm -hmm. It's it's it's. You can do all the kundalini yoga you want, and your kundalini very likely will never never turn on like this, like I'm speaking of. You may have little bursts of it, but this process seems to only happen when a particular person, the soul of a particular person is ready for it. And what constitutes being ready for it is, is a whole nother discussion, but suffice to say that the supreme intelligence of this universe that has created the whole thing and runs the whole show, it knows every spark of itself that is incarnated as a life form. And it knows exactly the status of each living thing. And if that living thing is ready for its next step in its own evolution. And that certainly applies to humans too. So this whole business of Kundalini awakening, Kundalini detoxification, you can call it, and Kundalini evolution is only gonna happen to someone when they're ready. And frankly, you can't know when you're ready. But he or she who runs this universe knows when you're ready and when you are, it's gonna happen. And so that, I guess, I guess I was fortunate. She was fortunate. We met each other, we helped each other out in the early couple of years of this process. Then we separated and we each went on our own unique paths. Mine lasted about four and a half years all total till mine completed the process. Um, and it, this is just one of those grand mysteries that just happens when the time is right. And you, you do your best to lock into that train and ride it as far as you can. Would you like to go into the specifics about some of the experiences you had with it? Because we had a great conversation. You were talking about kind of, I think, you, I don't know if you used the phrase filters and the idea that it sort of acted on these filters and removed certain things in your thinking and and um, in, in the way you approached life. And but, but physically, even, what does that feel like in and is it a very difficult experience? Is it is it uncomfortable? Do you were you moving physically? Where was it just all internal? What what was what were these experiences like? Is wow. Um, I mentioned psychedelic drugs. If uh, if you or any of your audience has toyed around at all with any kind of psychedelic substances, then you have some degree of personal experience with how literally mind-blowing this stuff is. Um, you know, we all have our kind of day-to-day -day reality. We, we each have our own sense of what life is and how it is and how we usually feel and 
just how day how 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 things go day by day and you're sort of your sort of general general flow of life that you're used to mm -hmm. and then you take you take a magic mushroom or a hit of lsd or whatever it is ayahuasca and all this all this normal day-to-day -day life expected experience is just blown to smithereens and you're in a completely radically different mental emotional place it's just totally amazing that even these places exist and that we can go to them i mean it the whole the whole subject is just inherently amazing and wonderful and so whenever anybody experiences anything like this and you get a taste of it if you're destined for it that starts the craving the addiction <laughs> for getting more of it you want to get more of it you want to explore it more mm. and an interesting part of all these cosmic connect cosmic union experiences is that at least for me it feels like home if if the word home means anything it's where your soul feels at its best at its optimal it's in the right place and it's tuned in and connected harmoniously with all that is that would be home in the in the most grandest sense so these cosmic union union experiences whether we get them through artificial means like like drugs or or mushrooms or what have you or if they just happen spontaneously internally they give us a taste of home and that home feeling is just beyond, way beyond words, but you want it badly because you, it just feels so wonderful and everything feels absolutely splendid in that place. So you want that back. And that's what the whole spiritual process is really, that's what's driving it. So Kundalini for me is absolutely an integral part of getting to that place in a far more consistent, daily, permanent manner. And the only way that's gonna happen is to remove all the, let's call them psychic obstacles, um, psychic toxins <laughs> that we have lodged in us and have chronically become a part of us. Just like, just like um, water fasting acts as a greatly accelerated detoxification and optimization process for our bodies and minds. Kundalini is a radically accelerated detoxification and optimization process for our level of spiritual connection and awareness. It, they, they, they dovetail perfect, perfectly in my opinion the natural detoxification process that happens with fasting exactly is repeated at a higher, more subtle and refined level with Kundalini process, the Kundalini awakening process. So when that Kundalini is doing its detoxification work inside of us, it's literally meeting 
let's call them psychic or ego blocks that are limiting optimal functioning. The kundalini energy, in a sense, comes to it and just pecks away, and drills away and chips away at these blockages until they're obliterated and the kundalini energy can move further through our systems, cleaning, dissolving, eliminating, repairing and optimizing those circuits, those subtle energy circuits within our bodies. And as that process happens, every time each energetic block is encountered and it is being worked on and it is finally exploded and obliterated, the feelings that happen with that, wow, it's, it's, it's very, very intense. Um, it's hard to describe because the nature of the block and the belief or let's call it a psychic aberration in our minds and in our belief systems and in our self-identity that we have derived from those blocks being there. When that gets dissolved, then it feels like something you've carried around your whole life and that makes you feel like you, your sense of identity is suddenly gone. It's wow. just gone. And so that feeling is completely weird and strange. And it's, it's like you're in this, it's like you've, you're slowly being hollowed out of everything who you think you are, who you believe you are, uh, who your memories of who you are, and even your aspirations of who you hope to be in the future. All these things are based on um, egoic beliefs, really. That you've, that you've taken on, you have agreed with and believed, and they have taken their place in your psychic being. And these, these blocks and beliefs are what are slowly chiseled away and eliminated with this whole Kundalini awakening process. Each time that happens, and each time a new block is worked on and, and, and blown out, it just completely changes your whole nature, your whole sense of yourself and you versus your environment and everyone else. I don't know, it's, it's so hard to talk about these things because it's, it's very subtle and yet extremely palpable when it's happening to you. So what it does is just progressively removes blocks and you feel lighter and open and lighter again and more open again until eventually when the time is right for you, the process kind of comes to its own grand finale, its own grand conclusion, and the final thin layers of egoic belief and egoic blockages finally get dissolved, they crash, and the whole process just completes. And there feels to be no longer any difference between your sense of you and everything else around you that you can experience that, that uh, inexpressible feeling of oneness becomes permanent. And you're just, you're just always connected to everything around you and your sense of inner self is, is clear and clean and open 
and it's just it's just awesome <laughs> awesome way beyond words this whole process so yeah we, we could we could spend a whole nother hour just talking about <laughs> this process but you know hopefully in kind of a nutshell summary yeah. fashion uh, this this describes what the process was like for me was it difficult for you to live your life a normal life while this was happening i'm sorry say that again was it was it difficult for you to live your life while this was happening? <laughs> um, you know what? Now, since we're on the subject um, of natural hygiene, having a natural hygiene lifestyle uh, strongly embedded in myself helped tremendously to weather this process, because you know the emotional ups and downs of having your sense of self <laughs> destroyed uh, is very unsettling to say the least. So when I was going through all these radical ups and downs, um, I sort of had my core natural hygiene, healthy lifestyle to rely on to help myself <laughs> focus on keeping myself optimized healthfully as best I could. Um, so that helped tremendously. Uh, during the four years, four and a half years, I was going through it. I wasn't doing well at all at dealing with the world and worldly responsibilities. So uh, as much as I possibly could, I sort of made myself a hermit, you know, sort of sequestered myself in a little cabin somewhere or uh, had some real good friends along the way that were willing to offer me a bedroom, you know, and kind of make my life as uncomplicated as possible. Because this process is seriously all consuming. It's very difficult to deal with worldly crap when you're, wow. <laughs> when you're going through this sort of thing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sure we could talk more about this, but um, I, I, I uh, maybe we could do this specifically another time, but um, I don't want to take up too much of your time today. And but uh, let let's move forward to what are you doing now? Where are you at your in your life? How have things moved forward? And I know that you're living in Ecuador as well. And mm. what so what's happening with you now? Yeah. Um, after the Kundalini process finished, um, I had a little bit of time on my own. And then I met someone else, a uh, partner who I've been with since then, actually. And um, I guess I should say that when this grand Kundalini awakening process happens and it completes in someone, you're, you're a completely different person and your point of view in this world is just radically changed. And it's blown out, frankly. And I had to sort of learn to be a human again in a lot of respects. I had to learn how to, how to function in the world and, and take care of daily things in a new way again. Because it, it's, not like, it's not like you... A good analogy I make in one of the, one of the articles I work, wrote about this process... Um, it's kind of, it has some similarities to total amnesia. 
you know, you've probably heard there's either been on in movies or you may have heard stories. Somebody gets hit on the head really hard and suddenly they lose all their memory. So in a very real sense, they have no self-identity anymore because there's no memory happening. They don't know who they are or where they are or what they are. And that's kind of what this Kundalini awakening process is like. It's, it strips out so many of your belief systems and, and your, your accustomed ways of being that you have to relearn how to, how to function again from this new state of being that you're in. And so it's a very long and gradual acclimation process to the new state of being you're living in. And it takes, took me probably about 12 years really to get to a pretty solid sense of, uh, I don't even know how to just say it exactly, sort of a, a comfortable ease of living, feeling inside. Because a lot of life after this process is very irritating. It's very, um, it hurts. <laughs> a lot of life causes a lot of friction. I mean, even something as simple as loud noises, you know, that you'd put up with in a city, say, if you lived in a city previously, you go through this process. And after, after you go through this massive spiritual and psychic detox, you're extremely sensitive to anything that, that causes friction to your state of being loud noises and irritating people and televisions and just all kind of things like that are just, you can't stand it. So um, there's a definite acclimation process that has to happen for quite a while. So I met a new partner sometime after I completed my process and we both decided we wanted to, to uh, or she had decided she wanted to get out of her career and uh, just do something completely different. And we decided we were gonna leave the United States and just start touring the world a little bit and see, look for some exciting, interesting places to live. And from my hygiene, natural hygiene background, I really was attracted to the idea of living in a more tropical place permanently. So we looked into Mexico, we traveled to Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Costa Rica, um, where else did we go? Some islands here and there, and uh, settled in Belize for four years in the jungle. We bought some land, in some raw jungle land in Belize, and cleared a little bit of it and built some cabins and basically started a little homestead in Belize. And th th this, these were two people who came from largely suburban upbringings, you know, in the United States. So we had, we had no experience whatsoever with hardcore rustic living, but that's what we did. We just completely dove into it. And Belize was really, really good for sort of breaking some more bubbles inside of us because coming from that relatively comfortable lifestyle into a totally off-grid rustic lifestyle in, a in the jungle, in the tropics, was a radical change of lifestyle. So we quickly uh, <laughs> quickly tried to get a handle on that and slowly did that. We actually had a small fasting retreat there for a little while. 
but four years into Belize, we decided it was just too hot and humid all the time. So we wanted to more or less recreate what we had did, done in Belize, but somewhere where the climate was better and eventually focused in on Ecuador. So in this mountain climate in the Andes Mountains in Ecuador, because we're so close to the equator, you just, the way it works here is you basically decide on the temperature range you want to live in and you just go to the correct altitude and that's your, that's the temperature range all year long. So it's really, really wonderful here. The, the lifestyle is great. We, we have pretty good sized property on a very pristine, pure river. And um, we're at a great elevation. Temperatures are between, say, 55 and 85 Fahrenheit. I don't know what that would be Celsius, unfortunately. Still used to Fahrenheit temperatures. But um, it's a real mild climate. It's uh, got dry seasons and wet seasons each year. Um, just really, really beautiful here. Really love it. Um, we may or may not create another fasting retreat here. I don't know. That's, that's kind of on the drawing board, but we'll see how things go. I'm also making um, a lot of improvements to my natural hygiene home study course. I'm putting it all online right now. And if there's enough interest in that, if that opens back up, um, we may very well get a fasting retreat going here again. Right now, we're just building this farm. We've got... Um, I'm planting literally hundreds of fruit trees everywhere around here right now. We're getting some big gardens going, getting our water systems going, all that sort of thing. So just um, we are on the grid. We got wireless, I mean, wired internet fiber optic, and we, we are on uh, public uh, power supply right now, but we're going to be getting a solar system and may eventually get satellite internet. I don't know, but uh, so we kind of have a nice mix of, on-grid and off-grid lifestyle we're developing right now. So it's a lot of fun. Excellent. And, and if people do want to get in touch with you or follow you somewhere, is there a, a website? Is there anywhere else they would contact you? Yeah, I have an old, um, my school is called Transformation Institute. Um, I have a website with that, transformationinstitute.org. Uh, it's a very old website, and that's in the process of being changed because we're putting all the courses online, and we hoped, hope to offer not only the natural hygiene courses, but courses as well in um, personal freedom, liberty, personal sovereignty, um, a lot of spiritual subjects like we've been talking about, the Kundalini process and spiritual evolution my experiences there and what they entailed and however I can help people with that. Uh, and then as far as the Transformation Institute School, once we get that launched and we have our course available, then I want to offer it as a platform for other people in the health and natural hygiene world who have interesting and good information to offer to potentially offer their own courses on the Transformation Institute platform so that um, more people can get involved. We can have a much wider and broader audience for different subject matter we can offer as lessons and courses and help people make a living, you know, make some money, um, potentially good money on the side, 
offering their courses and, and acting as online instructors. So hopefully that'll take off. And if that does, then it's likely there'll be a lot more interest from new and ongoing students in natural hygiene that, uh, that may warrant getting another fasting retreat going. And this would be a great place to do it. So that's kind of uh, what we're doing now and our aspirations for the future. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Robert, for giving me some time today. And there is so much uh, I'm sure that we can talk about and hopefully we'll stay in touch and maybe get another interview at some point to, to, to keep up to date with what's happening with you. Um, is there anything you'd like to finish off with before we uh, end today? Yeah. Um, if any of these subjects we've talked about, uh, if any of your listeners are especially interested in any parts of it, maybe they can contact you and I'd be happy to go into any of these, any of these subjects in more detail that, that your audience would appreciate. Uh, happy to do it. Um, so yeah, if you want to do that, let me know what, you, what your audience is interested in. You and I can, can drill down deeper in some of these subjects. Um, other than that, no, things are good. Um, really appreciate the interview. Um, you can add a couple of contact notes maybe yeah, on sure. your video for us. And um, yeah, if anybody would like to contact me about any of these subjects or especially contact Ronnie, if you'd like to have us both speak more about them, um, really, really wonderful, wonderful, amazing things uh, we can get into and I love it. That's, this is what I live for. You know, I, I, I just want to help anybody I can with any experience I have and at, at least hopefully help point people in the right direction so they can, they can tackle it on their own. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'd yeah. be glad to do. Let me know if uh, you want to ever take it any further. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to, I want to thank you and I want to thank whoever's listening and watching and, feel free to get in touch about anything and I will put down links below this and we'd love it if you would share this with other people you think it might be relevant with and you might get something from this. If you can share this for us, it would be really great and leave a comment, leave feedback. You can even rate the, the podcast and that can maybe help get out to more people and, and um, any, any, uh, anything you can help us with. Thank you very much. Um, I'd also Great. give a, a small plug to the audience to our festival in the UK. We have, a, if you want to learn more about the raw vegan lifestyle, we have a festival you can learn more about at fruitfest.co.uk. And we also have Friday night uh, free gatherings with discussions and sometimes speakers uh, called the Pretty Friday Gathering. You can join us on our newsletter at fruitfest.co.uk to learn more about these things and stay in touch with us. But I want to thank you for listening and for watching and we'll see you in another episode of the Love Fruit Podcast.